The turn again, please, to our scripture reading to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. <clears throat> We're going to look today at verse 22, verse 23. And here Jesus reminds us of the importance of singleness of heart in following God. Being single-minded, single-eyed, singleness of heart in following God. Verse 22, verse 23. <clears throat> This whole section here, verse 16 to verse 24, the Lord Jesus, he deals with three uh, major subjects. And they can be summarized very simply, fasting, worldliness, and singleness of heart and following after God. So verse 16, 18 deals with this subject of fasting. There are some Christians who are very prescriptive upon this particular subject. Uh, I think it is something that we as believers, we ought to occasionally practice. Fasting is something that we do in special times of seeking after God's mercy and God's direction. And we abstain from food, even from drinking, in order that we may pray, in order that we may mortify the flesh, in order that we may call upon the Lord's great name. Remember David fasted when his child was sick. Remember da Daniel fasted. When he needed special guidance from Almighty God. Remember the Saviour fasted in the wilderness. Ere he launched out into his public ministry. Remember Paul and Barnabas fasted and prayed. Uh, before appointing elders in the church. So there is biblical warrant for fasting and for praying. But there is no such direct command to do it. And so we do it in these special circumstances. We're to fast before God and not before men. We're not abstaining from food and praying to get the approval of others. I, I remember some of years gone by, they made such a, 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 an announcement when they came to church if there were times of prayer and fasting that they hadn't taken their breakfast that day. Well, that's not really following what Jesus said, is it? If you're fasting, it's something private between you and Almighty God. You don't have to put it on the announcements in the church uh, bulletin or on the notice board. And we're not to sit on judgment on others who seem not to fast as we do. If during the time of fasting, I eat my breakfast and you don't, well, it's none of your business. It's just between me and Almighty God. So we're not to sit on judgment one on the other. We should be content in knowing that our Father which seeth in secret shall reward us openly. And I think that's a good lesson to apply in all of the service of God. As our fasting is before Almighty God, so our service is before Almighty God. Verse 19 to 21, we looked at this then, the Saviour warned against worldliness. And this is put into the context of laying up treasure on earth or laying up treasure in heaven. There is an eternal investment plan that we looked at because we are to be good stewards of all that the Lord has given to it. The, the spirit of the world is grasping and is greedy. But the spirit of the Christian ought to be open-minded. Christians ought to have big hearts. They ought to have open hands. They ought not to have a, a concept just of laying up treasure in earth. Their primary concept should be laying up treasure in heaven. Sometimes worldliness 
is, is presented to Christians as dressing in an immodest way or, or going to places of, uh, of questionable value. But worldliness is not just how you dress. Worldliness is not just where you go. Worldliness is actually an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the life. It's how we think. It is an attitude that has only re regard to time and no regard to God's great eternity. It's a set of values that is earthbound and has no heavenward dimension to it. I like the story that Martin Lloyd-Jones told of a farmer. He came in to the farmhouse one day, was very delighted to tell his wife that the cow had calved. And he was so delighted because the cow had calved twins and he wasn't aware that uh, she was even bearing twins. And of course they were both delighted because they saw it as something that would bring them good revenue. One was red and one was white. And he was so pleased that he told his wife, well, I'll give one of them to the Lord. I'll give one of them to the Lord when it grows up a little bit. And the wife very sensibly asked him, well, which one are you going to give to the Lord? And he said, well, we'll treat each other the same. And when they grow up, just you leave it to me and I'll decide which one goes to the market and is sold and is given to the Lord. So by and by, one evening, he came in just as discouraged as he was excited when he first told her uh, that uh, the cow had given birth to twins. And she asked him, what is wrong? Well, he said, one of the calves has died. And the wife immediately, well, which one? She asked immediately, which one? What, by that she meant, what colour? But he immediately got in there, well, actually it was the Lord's calf who died. He wasn't thinking of the colour of the calf. He was thinking of the colour of the sterling. He was holding on to the treasure that he had on earth. And you know, I'll say something to you, brethren and sisters. I've never known people to hold on to the treasure that they have on earth and actually kept it. And the holder, the, the firmer you hold on to the treasure that you have on earth, it's more sure you're going to lose it. With many professing Christians, just like the farmer in our simple illustration, they're holding on to the treasures on earth. If I asked you today, are you a worldly Christian? Well, I think most of you would, would take offense at that. And I'll tell you why. Because you have externalized what it means. But worldliness is not what you are externally. Worldliness is what you are in your heart. And in your life. And when you look on it like that, we all have to confess we're earthbound. And we need to have that earth dimension broken in order that we be heaven bound. Then verse 22, 24, the Saviour dealt with this issue for today. The singleness of heart in following God. The Saviour made it abundantly plain in this section of the Sermon on the Mount that you can't serve him and the world at one and the same time. Now there are many trying to do that. It's like trying to ride the two horses at the one time going different directions. And in so doing he gave this illustration 
of the eye. And he talks here about the singleness of the eye. I have found this a very difficult concept to try to understand and to come to terms with. Here we have someone with divided loyalties. And the Saviour taught here the need to have singleness of purpose and direction in life. You're either going to heaven, man or woman, or you're not. You're either serving God or you're not. You either have light in your eye or you have darkness in your eye. And the need is just as great today as it was in the days of the Saviour for God's people to be single in their serving of God. Singleness of mind and singleness of heart. So we're going to look at this uh, figure of speech that the Lord Jesus used in verse 22-23. The single eye. It's not an easy figure to understand but I could have said we'll just go on to the next section but I said no, no, we'll have just to stop here and consider it. And I think as we consider it, it gives us a, a great insight. This single eye gives us a great insight into what really the Lord is teaching about singleness of heart and following on after God. So let's first of all look at the meaning of the terms that he used. The Saviour described the eye as the light or as the lamp of the body. And that's what our eyes are. Our eyes are the organ that God has given to us that will enable us to absorb the light that's out in the world and to internalize it physically within our own bodies and to give light into these physical frames of ours. So the eye is the receptacle of the light that's round about us, of the rays of the sun. And if the eye is not functioning properly, what happens? Well, the body then is in darkness. So just think for a moment how dependent your body and my body is upon the light which is received through the, the natural eye. If the natural eye is not working normally, we cannot go about our daily routines as we would normally do. Normal business comes to a stop if the eye is not working normally. Loss of physical sight, we know, is such a, a handicap. And thousands, of course, have been born without that sight and thousands more have lost that sight along the journey and thousands more have through various uh, causes impaired vision and it has changed their life completely. And so this figure of speech here does have great significance. If your eye is not able to absorb the light that's round about you, your body is in darkness. And you will not be able to walk right, you'll not be able to work right, and life as you normally know it will cease to be. Matthew Henry, as usual, gives us the key to understanding this figure of speech because he equates the eye with the heart. So when the Lord Jesus is talking about the eye, he equates it, it's, it's representative of the heart, the singleness of heart. Let me give you some verses. Proverbs 22 and 9. It says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Romans 12 and 8. The same word is used. He that exhorteth an exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Now the word that's used there for simplicity is singleness. Singleness of heart. 
When the eye is healthy, when the eye is functioning properly, we're able to see things as they really are. We're able to see the distance, we're able to see the size, we're able to uh, equate how dangerous it is or if it poses any danger, we're able to look at its beauty, we're able to internalise what we see now externally and we're able to move about with safety and with purpose and with being. But if the eye is blind or the vision is blurred, then we'll stumble, we'll fall, we'll be unable to perform our duties as we ought to perform our duties. A.W. Pinky took this up, he defined it in the following manner. We believe the eye in this parable of Christ is to be taken for the understanding. This is the faculty of the soul which gives more direction than any other part to the whole man. So if we put those two things together, the heart and the soul, we see what the Lord Jesus here is talking about. This interpretation of the figure, it differentiates more definitely between what we have in the preceding and in the, the following verses. 21, the heart stands primarily for the affections. It's our affections that are fixed on our treasures. The love of money is the root of all evil. Verse 24, it's the will that is in view. You're serving God or you're serving mammon, money, the God of this world. So in verse 22, verse 23, we have the affections, the understanding, the eye, the will. So in order for the individual to spiritually prosper, the understanding of our souls need to have a focus. You can't live life without focus. That applies no matter what you're doing. You can't live life without an objective. And a blurred vision will always result in, in failing to discern the, the pitfalls that are the snares that are in the world and it always results in injury. There are many Christians who have injured themselves. Why? Because they haven't had singleness of heart and singleness of purpose. Verse 23, I think, gives even greater clarity to this interpretation. Look how Jesus spoke of it there. If thine eye be evil. You've heard this expression. It's just taken out of our authorised version. The evil eye. The evil eye. What, what, what is the meaning here between this evil, wicked, sinful eye? Spiritually speaking, what is a good eye? We'll, we'll look at that first. I think this is the understanding which is renewed. Renewed by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. This is a mind that's dominated and controlled by the truth of God. As the physical body is illuminated and, and by the means of the eye, so spiritually the understanding of the soul, the will, is illuminated by the Holy Spirit and by the truth of God. That's why we sang in our opening praise from, paraphr from paraphrase 11, about heeding instructions and wisdom's early voice. If you have never known the saving, regenerating power of the Spirit of God in your soul today, then you do not have light in your eye. You have darkness. Nothing but darkness. A single eye has but one focus, and that is to glorify God. The single eye that has been 
renewed and opened by the Spirit of God, now wants to live for God, now wants to glorify God. We read Paul wrote of this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do. Now that's pretty inclusive, isn't it? Anything that you do this week, how are you to do it? Well, as Christians, we're to do all to the glory of God. That's our objective. Whether you're on the factory floor, whether you're in the office, whether you're in the home, whether you're at school, whether you're at university, wherever you are, we're to do all, all that we do to the glory of God. I'm not doing it to please the session here and on alone or the congregation here and on alone. I do what I do for the glory of God. Whatever you do in life, it's always good to have a sharp focus. And the Christian's focus at all times must be the praise, the honour and the glory of Almighty God. Now let's just break that down. That's in our relationships with others. How you treat others. How you treat others at work. What you said to them. How you interact with them. What sort of focus do you have in mind? Is it that you want to get one over someone? Or is it that you want to get ahead of someone? Or is it that you want to glorify God in your relationship? It includes then your roles within the house. It's always good to start in the family. As a father, are you doing all that you do to the glory of God? As a mother, are you doing all that you do to the glory of God? As a son, as a daughter, are you in that relationship with your father and mother, with your parents, to the glory of God? What about your, your regular employment? When you go out to work tomorrow, what do you do? Do you do it to the glory of God? As a Christian, that's what you ought to do. And this, of course, regulates our service for God. Paul took this up in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, 21. That's a sermon in and of itself, but I think it's a great illustration of Paul living life with a single focus to the glory of God. <clears throat> what did he say? Philippians 1 and 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. You take a, a, a magnifier and you put it over something. It increases what you see. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying he wants Christ to be seen in his life, through his life, in life and in death. He wants to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants Christ to be seen. He doesn't want to be seen, but he wants Christ to be seen. And there are some people, they want, they want self to be seen. But you and I are so to live and so to die that Christ alone is seen and not self. We often pray in the prayer meeting before we come out here, hide man behind the cross. Now what does that mean? Well, it just simply means that the man on the pulpit's not to be seen, but the man on the cross is to be seen. We want Jesus to be seen. The earnest desire and hope which Paul had as a prisoner for the Lord was not that he would be released and not that his captivity would come to an end, 
what was that even in life and in death that Christ would be seen. His desire was that Christ would be magnified. And whether it be by life or by death, let Christ be seen. Albert Barnes, lovely comment, biblical commentator, he wrote the following in that verse. He said, Christ is magnified in the death of Christians when his gospel is seen to sustain them, when supported by his promises, they're enabled to go calmly into the dark valley and when in the departing moments they confidently commit their eternal all into his hands. In life, in death, in departing the scene of time, Christ is to be magnified. Philippians 1 and 20, living life with a single purpose to the glory of God. To live for Christ is to have the whole body full of light. All we do, all we say, is to be done to please and honour him. And if our conversation, and if our conduct, and if our course of life has a single eye to the glory of God, then, brethren and sisters, we can add to that, our body will be full of light. Secondly, it's important to consider the terms in the context. Everything has to be in context, and even in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the unregenerate soul is likened here unto the evil eye, the person that's in darkness. It doesn't have that divine illumination of the Spirit of God. It cannot perceive things as they are, as they really are, from the eternal perspective. Oh yes, there's a danger there, but people don't see the eternal danger that's in it. People talk about dying, and of course nobody wants to die, and they'll avert whatever it is doing, if any sense is going to cause their death, but they don't see that after death comes the judgment. And how many times have you and I been at funeral services, and somebody has said about the deceased, oh it's well for them, they got away out of it. But they're not thinking of the eternal dimension to it. It's not well for them if their soul is in hell. A darkened understanding can never see the eternal dangers. And therefore sinners stumble and they fall into those traps that are prepared by the devil for them. Verse 23 the Bible says, If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. First John 1, 5 and 6 opens up this little to us. It said, This then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. If you say that you know God today but still walk in darkness, the Bible says you're living a lie and you know not the truth. And there are many today and they're living that lie and they're sitting in gospel pews this very Sabbath day right across our little land. The Saviour had already made reference in these verses here. Verse 19, verse 20, verse 21. To the treasures which are in heaven. And he advised his, his Jewish listeners 
to lay up treasures there. But, but sadly, many of them couldn't see that. They weren't interested in the, an eternal investment plan. They wanted to know how their stocks were doing today, how their shares were doing today, how their business was doing today. They didn't think that there would be a hereafter. And like so many in our own day and generation, isn't that the buzz phrase of our own day and generation? I want it all and I want it now. Well, you can get it all now. But what about eternity? That your man cannot understand, I think, this concept. Because he doesn't have the light of God in his soul. And that's why the world labors for things that will never satisfy. Never satisfy. The best that the world offers, and the world has a lot of good things to offer, but the best that the world offers has to perish. But men spend their whole lives laboring for things that perish. And never think one day they'll leave it all behind. Why? Because they don't have spiritual wisdom in their souls. It's this spiritual discernment, this light in the eye, that enables the believer to distinguish from the precious and the vile. A Christian will look at something, and an non Christian will look at something, and they'll see totally different things. Why? Because it's the light that they have in the eye. We read then, for example, Hebrews 5.14, Strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I think that's a great verse. There are many today, they can't, they can't deal with the strong meat of the word of God because their senses are not exercised to discern both good and evil. And we live in a generation, men and women, in where good and evil are so blurred. The, the good is now evil, and the evil is now good. That's the tragedy of our day and generation. We were thinking at our presbytery meeting on Friday night past of the horrendous impact that abortion is going to have on our land. It is. The more I think about it, just the more overwhelming it, it, it becomes. In the, in the recent budget, you know the only thing that was ring-fenced and guaranteed was the imposition of abortion services in Northern Ireland. Everything else has had to suffer a decrease. But the only thing that was ring-fenced and increased, because it wasn't there before, was the killing, the murder of unborn babies in the womb. And that is held up now as a human right. It's a human right to murder another human who hasn't been born. We live in a land, dear brethren and sisters, in which men no longer are able to discern between good and evil. It's the single eye that enables us to discern what's true and what is false, what is true happiness. 
And I want to say again, that is not. Happiness will never be found in accumulating stuff. It'll never be found in accumulating stuff. Have you ever gone to any of the auctions? And you go into the auctions and there's these wonderful items. And somebody years ago, they paid a, a ransom to buy those items. And now they've been sold just for one or two pounds. It's not the stuff. It's not the sterling. Because you'll have to leave it. You can accumulate it. But you are going to have to leave it. Every last pound of it. True happiness is found in Christ. Oh, happy. Happy. Not wonderful opening uh, line this morning in paraphrase 11. Happy is the man who hears instructions warning voice in closing let's consider very briefly then the transformation that a single eye makes in our lives you know when you've got light in your eye what does that mean well the whole body verse 22 is full of light if you've got the light of God in your eye yeah that that heart that will renewed enlightened made to live by the Holy Spirit of God then the renewed will directed by the Holy Spirit and through the word of God, it'll be one that will go on in the path of righteousness. We sang about that heavenly wisdom. Proverbs is full of it. Proverbs 8 and 20. We read, I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the path of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance and I will fill their treasures. I, I lead. I lead in the ways of righteousness. I cause those that love me to inherit substance. And I fill their treasures. The, the body's full of light. If the eye has light, the body will be full of light. But if the eye cannot take in the light, the body will be full of darkness. We need this transformation. We need this transformation of Matthew 6, 22 because verse 23 is very clear. We're born in spiritual darkness. In darkness. And that's why today I urge you. If you're in the gathering still out of Christ. To acknowledge the blindness, the darkness that your soul is in. I think this is a reality check. Before we move on to the next section. Which is all about living in this world of anxious care how do you live in a world of anxious care how do you how do you cope with anxiety in this life that's what jesus is saying but now he's just this is the reality check before we move on to that before we talk about the cares and the worries of the world he's asking those that he's speaking to can you really see what's in the world If you acknowledge the darkness, accept then the light that Jesus offers. Jesus said, I am the light. The only darkness, the only light that takes away the darkness is Jesus Christ. Nobody else. You can go to this philosophy. You can go to that psychology. You can have all of the... The, the, the counselling and all that goes with it of the day. But it's only Jesus who can dispel the darkness. And if you've got Jesus, 
You've got the light of God in your soul. And if you ask him today to give you that light, he'll give it to you. Happy is the man who hears instructions, warning voice, and whose celestial wisdom makes his early only choice. What other choices do we have, dear brethren and sisters? Will we take the world's wisdom? It'll only increase the darkness. Or will we take God's wisdom, his blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? And I love the way this puts it, his early only choice. Young people, accept Jesus and take him as your Lord and Savior while you're young. Don't wait until you're old. Take him as you're young and trust him while you're young. And he'll guide you along the pathway. I think that lovely paraphrase is a wonderful summary and conclusion of what it is to have a single eye which is full of light. And may each one, each one, old and young today, may we have that singleness of heart, that eye that's full of light, that keeps us following, keeps us following the Lord Jesus and been guided in the pathway of gospel truth. May the Lord bless these few words to all of our hearts and lives today and keep us following and keep us growing.